Hey, everybody, we got a good one today. It's the legislative update, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Everything you need to know that's going on in the legislative session that really matters to you, we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be breaking it down. Um, It's going to be a little bit longer podcast that really gets down into the weeds of what's going on in Montgomery that you need to know about. Uh, You're definitely going to want to tune in and find out. Welcome, everyone, 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Great episode today. Glad you guys are joining us. Uh, I'm Brian Dawson. I'm the host and CEO of 1819 News, and I'm joined by Miss Andrea Tice. Andrea, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Good to be here. And as you guys probably noticed by now that it's not Ray Mellick, right? Um, Just a little shorter. Yeah, just a little bit. Other than that, you know, very striking resemblance. (laughs) Right. so glad to have Andrea. It's always uh, a lot of wit and spunky fun anytime uh, she joins. So so glad to have her. Um, before we jump into the podcast and all the good stuff we got for you, uh, I always want to tell you guys uh, where you can find us. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube are the main places to get this. Please go on there, subscribe, leave a five-star review, and tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. And make sure to just help us get the word out. That's the biggest thing, man. Everybody asks us, man, what can we do to help? Everyone's really excited about what we're doing. It's like, tell everyone. That's how. That's how. So that is the biggest thing you can do. And then also really, really high up there on that list is going to 1819news.com. Sign up for the newsletter. If you've not signed up, that is the biggest way that we can make sure that we're getting to you. We know that social media is no friend to honest news. Uh, They have algorithms that work against us, Um, and so the way that we do the old end-around on uh, Zuckerberg and friends uh, is by creating a newsletter that's delivered to your inbox around 745 every morning. Uh, It's got all the top stories of the day. It's like a morning edition back in the day when when the newspaper was, you know, some some kid on his bike riding at 5 a.m., and he chucked the paper at your, your doorstep, except you don't have to go outside in the snow in your sandals and pick it up. Nope, just go to your computer, click on your inbox, and boom, there we it's are. It's just a click away, Brian. And let me just say, it is looking beautiful. As far as graphically, it looks great. Awesome. Easy to, to access and scroll down and lots of great content. Awesome. Well, I'm blushing under my beard from those high praise from Andrea. And while we're on high praise, uh, speaking of Andrea, one of the things um, that she does, one of the primary things she does uh, is the daily detail. Um, this is uh, one of the most incredible products we produce, um, you know, and it's growing and I get constant text messages from people uh, just about every day. Um, enjoying this so much. Oh, that was very insightful and all these other things. And what it is, is it's a, a daily Monday through Friday um, news update, everything you need to know that's going on in Alabama, uh, as well as the, the nation uh, in under 15 minutes. And so she scours and digs and finds all the stuff that you need to know uh, so that you can stay informed. And it's an audio only podcast that can be found on Spotify uh, and Apple podcasts, as well as anywhere else audio podcasts can be found. Go there and subscribe to that. And I'm telling you guys, uh, on your ride to work, you just press play, boom, and now you know every single thing that you need to know uh, in, a, in a very well-delivered way with Andrea. She's got the radio voice, very professional. I try. Yes, it's very good. <laughs> um, well, with that, we'll jump in uh, to, the, to, to the episode. This is a legislative update. We've been doing a lot of candidate forums. We've had... Um, Let's see, we've had Mike Durant, Mo Brooks. We're trying to get Katie on. 
We've had Tim James. We've had Lou Burdett. Uh, we're going to be having Linda Blanchard on next podcast, and we'll have Dean Odell and Dave Thomas. And so um, really enjoying um, kind of providing the service to, to our listeners of uh, bringing these uh, candidates in to an in-studio, get to know the candidate. And it's been a lot of fun. But doing normal podcasts is a lot more fun. And so I'm really happy to have this little break in, <laughs> in that to do a, a legislative update just to let you guys know what's going on. We've got it broken down into the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, of course, when we get to the ugly, that's when I need to leave. There's no way you could include me in that. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> we need you to go whole hog on the ugly, Andrea. Oh, okay. I guess I'll yes. stick around and point out the ugly. Yes. We might actually... Uh, well, have to reel you in, but we'll see. You guys will want to stick around for that. Um, before we jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, let's talk about the candidate forum that we had. So last Thursday, um, local Alabama, uh, if you guys don't know, um, local Thatcher and Eagle Forum. So you have Allison Sinclair that heads up uh, local Alabama, an organization that is encouraging people to get involved in the political process, everything from uh, encouraging people to challenge incumbents to um, learning about election integrity and just overall yeah. activism. Uh, and uh, it started out as just like, what can I do? And and she started it and it turned into this huge movement. And it's mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, she is also uh, a podcast host for us on Alabama Unfiltered. Um, and then uh, the Thatcher Coalition uh, is headed up by Stephanie Holden-Smith. She's one of our opinion writers at 1819 News. She's uh, one of the brightest, smartest, most well-informed people I know. Uh, and then obviously Eagle Forum with uh, Uni Smith and Becky Gerritsen, uh, as well as a, a ton of other uh, really incredible ladies that are involved in that. Um, they put on a, a candidate forum that they allowed us to be a part of as uh, the media coverage. Um, and we had everyone there from uh, all the Democrats, all the Republicans. There was 11 people there. It was amazing. It really was the the turnout and the and the cooperation with it. Yeah, it was cool. And it was, uh, as I describe it to people, I, I always say it was... Um, it was it was like one part Jerry Springer, like two parts encouraging, right? Yeah. It was good. It was it was an Alabama gubernatorial candidate for him, man. It was live, um, and um, you know it it was it was everything that you would hope for. It was it was definitely a good time. They did such a good job putting it together. The you know the overall venue, the way that it was put together, was very very professional. Um, I was just really blown away when I walked in there and saw it, and. Um, Pull it off without a hit. And so we did a Facebook Live, had incredible social media engagement on the Facebook Live, um, but we're also going to have a, a fully produced uh, version of it that we'll have a link to that'll be going out on our website newsletter that you're going to sign up for because you want to go sign up to the for the newsletter. Um, going out so that you guys don't miss that and you can share it around with your friends. Um, but yeah, it was good. What, what stu stood out to you the most about the candidate forum? <clears throat> I was there. I know. I know I didn't. I don't know if you. If I you knew guys, you were there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised with the, the turnout, the fact that the Democrat side was all invited and that they showed up and took part. I was also um, encouraged by the way they strictly kept to time. They didn't they didn't let it get out of off the rails. Yeah. They kept everybody in in, uh, in on their tracks. And so that no one could, as is tends to do when you get two or more politicians is someone, <laughs> uh, one or more, maybe even, uh, is someone tries to kind of uh, manhandle the time frame and, yeah. and overtake it. And they did not tolerate that as well. And I also appreciated the fact that the lightning round, because that kind of secured some yes or no answers that politicians squirm to get away from yeah. in, in every way possible. And it forced them to take part 
in some um, critical issues that Alabamians want to know about, and they don't want all the fluff and all the workaround and all the, you know. Uh, yeah, and they kept, and fluff. so how the, the lightning round worked is they had a, a dry erase board that was about, I don't know, maybe a foot by a foot or maybe 18 inches by 18 inches, and they had a dry erase marker. And what I thought was brilliant about that is because, you know, if you gave them too big of a dry erase board, you know, they would have been trying to, you know, put in, you know, well, right. maybes and contingencies. Like, no, yeah, right. Yes <laughs> or, or no. no. That's it. And so you had to write yes or no and then put it up there. And one of the most encouraging things about that um, that I saw that I was not expecting was the unity in Democrats and Republicans on a lot of those answers. Specifically, uh, the one that really encouraged me was um, should prayer be put back in school in the public mm-hmm. education? And literally every all 11 people had yes on their dry erase board. Uh, another question that was asked was race-based uh, curriculum. Should we have race-based curriculum uh, in, in our education? And, you know, the, the question was asked to clarify and say specifically critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Should we have critical race theory being taught in our education? And 10 said no and one said yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to see that, I was really blown away. Um, and then uh, I think the standouts, um, I'll ask you and then I'll go into to, to, to mine. Who, who of the Democrats stood out to you as having a, a handle on the issues that had good answers? Oh, really? You're going to put me on the spot already? We're barely five minutes in. <laughs> I know. Um, who on the Democrat side? Yeah. Uh, Brian, I got to be brutally honest. No one stood out to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> They're all lovely people. They, they, a lot of them expressed a, a great deal of uh, empathy and um, concern about education and our kids and, and all of that. But as far as having a handle on everything that's happening in our state, um, no one really kind of stood out to me as having a grasp of that. Maybe one particular issue. Yeah. But. And I thought um, Chad, Chig, Martin, I don't know if he goes by Chig or Chag, Chig. The guy with Chig, the hat. Chad, yeah, the big guy, the... Uh, large country fella and yeah, uh yeah. businessman um you know he had you know I didn't agree with everything but he knew when the questions were asked he knew what the questions were about and he got to the root of the issues and he answered them um I think um you know when the question was asked about the, how we elect our medical health officer um no one seemed to you know the first like seven or eight answers like no one had any idea what they were talking about so i know um but i do think of the democrats i think um um you know there were there were some good answers like you said i think what what it looked like to me was a bunch of people um who were hurting for their state and their communities Mm -hmm. and they're just like you know i'm sick of this you know what can we do i think i'll run for governor right and you know they haven't been coached up on policy they don't know the fine-tuned things they just know that things aren't good and they wanted to kind of do something right and I, and that that's kind of the feeling i got from them but um you know there was one lady uh of the three that were there that stood out to me and I, honestly i don't know her name uh i couldn't see the name tags uh but she at the end she brought it around to faith and yeah. um you know god and trusting him and all of that and i appreciated that that yeah. that helped you know uh, help us realize we're we're not all so disparate. Yeah, you know that there there there's no common ground. Yeah, yeah. and um, something that I've been hearing a lot um, with some of the pastors that I listen to and uh, friends that I have, um, the it seems we know that the answer is God, right? And that's what I've kind of got out of it. Democrats and Republicans know that it's a it's a turning back to God, and what does that turning back to God look like? 
And if you get into the weeds on what turning back looks like, it's, you know, we'll be less racist or, you know, be more conservative or whatever. And it's like, no, I really believe and this may be super controversial and no one will watch my podcast anymore. But I, I believe it's it's a it's repentance at every level. You know, fathers repenting for not leading their families and, and, and restoring themselves uh, to, to leading their families. It's it's um, churches, pastors repenting um, for being in dereliction of not preaching the word of God and its entirety, the hard parts too. Right. Um, and maybe succumbing to pressure uh, other than, you know, fear, fearing man rather than fearing God and pastors repenting for that. Um, you know, magistrates uh, repenting. And so you you have households repenting, you have churches repenting, and you have magistrates, which are basically elected officials um, and people in positions of power who have sworn oath, and them repenting for their waywardness and their dereliction, and then turning back and, and honoring God. Um, I think that is, that's the ultimate answer. Um, how do we get there? I have no idea. But um, either way, there was a tangent um, <laughs> to go on. But um, I do think that, that that is the commonality between all of them was that um, the Democrats and the Republicans is that um, there, there's a big faith piece to this. Uh, there definitely was this yes. election uh, that a lot of people are wanting to, to, to hear and know about. Um, another thing that really stood out to me about the candidate forum is there was someone missing. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I, I was hoping we would have a larger cutout so we could make that obvious yes. absence. <laughs> but uh, I loved what the ladies did there in the very beginning. They had an empty chair with Kay Ivey's name tag sitting out in front of it. And just to kind of bring attention to the fact she was not there. Um, and, you know, I hear I hear people all the time. Oh, well, I mean, she only has. And again, it's, it's playing politics. And you're the one that actually brought this uh, terminology to me. It's the difference between politics and leadership. Yes. Right, it's the difference between yeah. politics and leadership. Um, leadership, you show up, even if it means if you if you have a gaffe, you might go down a few points in the polls. But if you're a leader, you come and you address your constituency and your people. You're the you're the governor of all Alabamians, and Alabamians want to hear from you. And if you have such a great record and you're such a good governor and you're so incredible, why not just come mop the floor with all these you know these these challengers and just be done with it? And she can't. And so the only way she wins is just to ride in you know ride in on her incumbency. Um, and, and that's what she's picking. And it's very similar to what we talked about with, you know, Will Ainsworth has decided to, you know, write in on her incumbency as well, knowing that she's not going to make it for, and he's going to get handed the governor, handed the governor's office. Uh, Joey Clark did a opinion piece on this very thing uh, that came out today. Um, it's, and it's not the, leadership. No, know? it's, it's a tactic. It's running out the clock yeah. and, uh, trying to skate in under and not take offense yeah. and take the ball down the court or down the field. Yeah. And I will say I get, so when you're running, do I want to run for governor? Do I want to run for Lieutenant governor? Okay. The person who's probably going to win is old, not going to make it eight. Um, okay. So I run for Lieutenant governor, not the most respectable thing in the world, but I can understand that. But then when you go out and campaign for that person, right. And tell us that she's great when I know that you don't actually believe that. And so you're basically going out and lying Right. And then that's playing politics versus leadership. Leadership would not do something that they did not believe was right. They wouldn't go and do something that was not honest and true. And so right. I don't believe that there's anything within Will Ainsworth that makes him think that Kay Ivey's actually a good governor. But I do believe that he thinks that she has the best chance of winning. And if she wins and, you know, six months in is like, OK, I can't do this anymore. Here you go, Will. And you're going to be the governor. So if you want to ride that and if you want to ride her incumbency in and become the governor that way, I don't think it's the best. But don't go out and campaign for her. And, I, and I've talked about that at length probably on this podcast and radio appearances and stuff. Anyway, back to the candidate forum, the Republicans, who stood out to you? 
it came down, uh, when I returned home and talked to my husband, it came down to Tim James and Dean Odell. I felt like they, across the board, had a decent answer and a more comprehensive answer to all of the questions. And, uh, you know, there were some that might have shown a little brighter in some of those questions regarding gambling or education or whatever, but I believe that Dean Odell and Tim James really um, had a, showed a mastery over what all is at, is at issue here in the state. And it's more than just one yeah. issue. No, I completely agree. I'd say the same thing. Tim James and Dean Odell uh, were the absolute standouts. It's not that Linda didn't do well or Lou didn't do well or, you know, Dave Thomas didn't do well. They, they did fine. But, you know, in those settings, you get a standout, right? And it was, it was pretty much neck and neck with Tim James and, and Dean Odell. And I think the reason that Dean may have shined even a little bit more is that no one was expecting it from him, mm-hmm. right? He's kind of been, you know, um, fortunately, unfortunately, he's been labeled the flat earther and all this other stuff. And he's been stereotyped. He's been smeared. stereotyped, smeared. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it is a strange view that he holds. And, and, and so it does make you wonder, well, does he have any other strange views? And I admire the fact that, you know, when, when he's asked about it, that he just, he squares up with it and says, yeah, this is what I believe. Most people, if they have a belief that, you know, and it gets challenged and it may affect whether you get elected or not, they completely back off of it. And they're like, oh, you know, um, and they, and, and he doesn't do that. He squares up. Yeah, no, this is what I believe. Wow. So I do think that that's impressive. I think, um, but here's the other thing, Brian, with his belief, nobody dies as a result of it. All yeah. right. But other people have beliefs that where people do, and yeah. that's where they need to be called out beliefs that a, life doesn't begin at conception. Yeah. That's going to cause a lot of people. If they continue in that belief in a position of authority, a lot of people are going to die. Yeah. A lot of babies are going to die as a result of that. Vaccines so, are safe. So Dean Odell is. <laughs> well, let's not go no. there. <laughs> you brought that in. No. All right, moving forward, moving forward. Um, so, so Dean Odell has his belief and he's welcome to it and nobody's going to die as a result of it. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And so, and I don't think that anything that he does as governor has anything to do with the curvature of the earth over Alabama. So that being said, um, because he's been kind of... Um, pigeonholed to kind of the, you know, uh, because of that, when he came out and he was able to, you know, square up with all the other candidates, you know, and have such a good handle on the issues and just, I mean, hit every single thing. It was like when you're in batting practice and every single pitch that comes in, you just take it yard. That was Dean Odell. Same with Tim James, right? Same thing. Every single question, Tim James knocked it out of the park. But I think, um, it's expected of Tim, right? And 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 I think that's why Tim's probably going to be the leader of all the challengers is because it's expected of Tim. This is his third time. His father was the governor. You know, he's he's done this before, and so it, it's good that he's knocking it out of the park with yes, every single time, right, right? right? And so he's had a lot of um, practice. He's had a lot no. of practice, and he has a good handle on the issues. And um, but yeah, so I I thought they those were the two that stood out to me the most. Um, and so yeah. Like I said, we'll have a, uh, a fully produced uh, link coming up on our, our website, newsletter, social media that we'll be pumping out there so that you guys can tune in and come up with your own opinions and, and see what you guys think. So, um, well, that's good. Well, let's get into uh, the legislative update, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why so, do you look at me when you say ugly? Well, <laughs> very good. <laughs> you got me. Because I'm thinking of all the horrible things that you and I agree on that uh, we can commentate oh, okay, on that are the right. ugly. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. There's nowhere else to look either, Not, right? So, nice recovery. Yes, yeah. thanks. Yeah. I, I'm just teasing landing. you, Brian. I am just teasing you. <laughs> so, um, you know, there for a while I was wondering if we were going to have anything in the good section. 
Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Just less than a week ago, um, yeah, you weren't sure. Yeah, really wasn't. And I was like, man, we're getting hosed down again. Um, but uh, the first thing that did happen, and it happened uh, last week, uh, Thursday, it was signed into law, a constitutional carry. I know. I, I couldn't believe it. The last I had heard from our reporter, um, Brandon, was that, you know, it looked like it was caught, it was hung up. And it, it was doubtful. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, they pass it. And then Ivy, Governor Ivy, signs it into law that night. Yeah. I was amazed. Yep. And um, pleasantly you know, surprised. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is one of the give credit where credit's due. She signed that thing immediately. Yeah, it's an election year. That's a red meat bill if there oh, ever was one, right? Yeah. So, uh, but good on her. She didn't have to sign it. I'm sure, you know, I, I don't know how in favor of it she really was or wasn't. Um, don't know, but she signed it and boom, there it is. And so, We'll walk you guys through a little bit of the history of that bill and and what role 1819 News played in that. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so constitutional carry, permitless carry, whatever you want to call it, uh, has been in the legislative session, I think, every year for the last 12 years. I believe Scott Beeson, who's another one of our podcast hosts on Alabama Unfiltered with uh, Amy Beth Shaver and Allison Sinclair, uh, he was a a former state senator and he was also in the, the state representative. And he was one of the first ones to begin bringing permitless carry and go up against the Sheriff's Association and all these other things. And essentially what it breaks down to is um, the the Second Amendment says that a person's right to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. And that's really the and that's why they call it constitutional carry. Right. And so if um, law enforcement agency, i.e. the sheriff's departments in the state of Alabama are um, charging you a fee in order to issue you a permit after doing a background check. Um, that's not constitutional. That's actually an infringement. And it says it shall not be infringed upon. And so this is kind of the basis for that. Uh, many other states have have taken this leap before Alabama, which is really sad because we're the most conservative state in the nation, 2A stuff, pro-life stuff. Like, we should be leading the way. We're not. School choice. Um, you know, again, because our legislature doesn't reflect our people, right. <clears throat> but we're working on it. Um, and so um, this has been a big fight and the sheriff's association has been fighting against constitutional carry. They would say, because it, you know, takes a tool out of the tool belt of their deputies um, when they're trying to enforce the law. Um, I've gone back and forth with friends of mine uh, on this issue. I don't think they're legitimate um, concerns. I think, uh, you know, someone will give an instance and say, you know, if an officer, you know, pulls over, you know, Billy Joe Bob, who looks like he's up to no good, and we saw that he had a gun in his car, which likely who's just going to have a gun anyway. But, you know, he has a gun in his car and if he didn't have a permit, then we'd be able to arrest him. And it's like, OK, well, either he can have a permit or he can't. Right. So either he can or he can't. The same system you're using to issue the permits is the same system that they have in their vehicle. So if you pull over Billy Joe Bob and run his tags, you're going to know whether Billy Joe Bob can have a gun or not just by running his tags. Then so maybe he's in somebody else's car. OK, you go and get Billy Joe Bob's driver's license. <clears throat> You take it, you run Billy Joe Bob's driver's license and you see whether he can, whether he's on the restricted person's database or not. Right. Right. And so it's that same technology that's telling them whether a person can have a permit or they can't. And so if Billy Joe Bob can't have a, can't have a pistol permit or can't have a gun, if no matter how it falls and there's a gun on his seat, you can now arrest him and, and Billy, whether Billy Joe Bob was up to something or not. And then would say, well, actually the sheriffs have discretion, um, to issue permits, you know, if we know that someone's, you know, up to things and they shouldn't, but maybe, maybe the database databases that they're allowed to carry a pistol, um, you know, but the sheriff knows better, he can say no on issuing the permit. Well, that's not true. Now they may be doing that, 
Well, if they are doing it, that creates a whole other problem because now they're becoming judge, jury, and yes. uh, executioner on the constitutional rights of a person. Exactly. And now here's the thing. You can make um, you know anecdotal stories where it's good that they did. And it's like there, there are definitely people out there who are probably like, oh, I shouldn't have a gun and the sheriff did that. But the challenge is, is that Alabama is a shall issue state, right? And so that means that there is no discretion. If the person checks out on the computer, you shall issue them a permit. Right. Um, and so either way, those are the arguments that are being made is it's a safety issue. And, and basically we're, we're in, um, you know, making it harder for our sheriff's deputies to enforce the law. And I don't think that that's legitimate. I'm not a law officer. I've, you know, I, um, and so where I think the, the, the real hangup was actually, uh, and that the sheriff's, um, the sheriff's departments as a whole uh, around the state stood to lose about $20 million uh, if permits went away. Right. And so this is their slush fund. And then they say, well, this is how we buy bulletproof vests and all this other stuff. It's like, look, I'm telling you right now. So one, you shouldn't like in order for our police to be funded, they shouldn't have to come, you know, tax people for their constitutional rights. Um, there's an appropriations process and man, if conservatives want to win big points with their constituency, give cops money, right? Like, and, and to put out a press release, man, we laced up our sheriff's department with, you know, big money and they've got all the coolest gear and all that other stuff. And you, and you would be able to do that. We've got more money than we know what to do with in the state. And, and, and so rather than, you know, setting up appropriations to, to get, I could go on and on about this topic and I don't want to get too deep into it, but every year I see a story in the news about how the state is auctioning off all the stuff that's been confiscated or, yeah. or acquired or well, why can't that money, whatever yeah. the, the, the police officers confiscate from ne'er-do-wells and criminals, yeah, turn it around and use that money. That's yeah. another way. Totally. And so there, there's always a way around that, but this was a simple way for them to be able to, to make money. Everybody comes in voluntarily, you know, cuts them a check. So happy that the government's allowing me to carry a gun. Right. And it's well, like, yeah, well, the problem is it takes more work to do it a different way yeah. that that protects the rights of the people along the way. It takes yeah. more work. It takes more effort to, to do that. And that that's why they just went yeah. down this road. It's always the law abiding people who get shafted first. Yes. Right. They're always taken advantage of. They're always presumed upon taken for granted because they're willing to just do it because they're law abiding citizens. Yeah, And we just want to be a part of the solution and go along to get exactly. along. Exactly. Well, um, here is the story of how it panned out. So those are the arguments, um, you know, and again, you know, maybe there's merit to their arguments, maybe there's not. But at the end of the day, the people, the voice of the people is is very supportive of constitutional carry. That's what the people wanted. You had special interest groups that were in the ear of legislators pushing back uh, the Alabama Sheriff's Association. Um, the BCA was getting involved and all these other things. And so I'll just go through the whole story. Um, so here we are 2022 legislative session, Craig Monger, one of our reporters, phenomenal reporter. He, um, he catches wind that the Alabama Sheriff's Association is working with mom's demand action, which is a radical left gun control group. Right. And so the Alabama Sheriff's Association has partnered with a radical left gun lobby to fight against the people of Alabama having permitless carry. And so, you know, talk about strange bedfellows, and we'll exactly. get into some more strange bedfellow oh, stories later. Yeah. Jeez. A lot of odd yeah, couples. A lot of odd couples. <laughs> and so um, Craig reaches out to Bobby Timmons, who is the, uh, I think he was the chairman or the head of the Alabama Sheriff's Association, to talk to him uh, about that partnership, room, the rumor about that partnership. And on that call, he not only confirmed um, that they were indeed partnered with uh, this radical left gun control group, but 
um, you know, through some other questions, you know, he began to talk, have, have a conversation and Bobby Timmons said, well, you know, the second amendment was really only ever meant to apply to people's households. And so Craig's like, well, you know, the United States Supreme court would disagree with you on that on number. He goes, yeah, I know, but they're wrong. Timmons says, yeah, I know what they're wrong. And so Craig's like, okay, so are you saying you would be in support of legislation, you know, that would change the second amendment, amend the second amendment? Uh, to be restricted just to people's households. And, and he said, yeah, I'd be in support of it, but it would never get passed. And so he got the head of the Alabama Sheriff's Association to go on record and say that he would be in support of restricting the Second Amendment to people's households. That caused, I mean, that was a colossal story. It went berserk on social media and everywhere else. The NRA picked it up. Uh, the National Association of Gun Rights picked it up. Um, and it, and it, I mean, it, it exploded. And, and so then there was enough pressure um, kind of counter pressure to put, you know, uh, on on legislators from people, from NRA, from National Association of Gun Rights uh, to counter that uh, mom's demand action uh, stuff going on. And so, um, you know, the it came out of the House with some bad amendments. It went to the Senate. The Senate committee, the Senate committee fixed the bad things that the, the House, you know, because in order to get it out of the House and to the Senate, the BCA, which is the Business Council of Alabama, the State Chamber of Commerce, they went in there and put some terrible amendments that were just awful, basically essentially gutted the bill and, and, and actually made it, it would be better off if the thing just didn't pass. So death, then it, it goes death to by amendments. Yeah. It's, and then, yeah. so it gets into the Senate and the Senate actually in the Senate committee, it fixed all those amendments comes out of Senate committee to the Senate floor, introduced more terrible amendments, <laughs> goes back to the house for signing. And so I, all I knew is when it came out of Senate committee, it was good. I didn't realize that it got screwed up on the Senate floor. And so when it got screwed up on the Senate floor and went back to the House, the House um, rejected it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Here we are finally about to get, you know, a, 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 legislate, a piece of legislation that's actually beneficial to the people. And it seemed like a clean <clears throat> bill, like, yeah. is, and we, at yeah. least what you knew. Yeah, what yeah. I knew and what I didn't know is that the Senate floor actually screwed the bill up, too. And then some, some, some people in the House had some William Wallace speeches uh, going from what, I, what I've heard. And um, and and got it to where those amendments were taken out. Uh, the the bill was um, approved by the House. The Senate went to the governor's desk with minimal amendments, uh, and it was and that sucker was signed. Wow! And so the good that was a W. That All is right. a huge huge W. W. I, mean, I really just a week ago I was just sitting there thinking I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think we're we're going to have another wasted legislative session in a yep. lot of ways as far as shoring up our constitutional rights and, and returning power to the people and yeah. uh, in every way possible. And if we can't even do that in Alabama where yeah. we name our guns, yes. then come on, what's <laughs> right, going on? Where we name them. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, and uh, for the sake of time, I don't know if I'll be able to, nah, you know what, we'll just do a long one. This is a legislative update. Hopefully people, if they're interested, they'll stick around and listen because I really do want to get down into the weeds. And that's the purpose of this medium. We're not up against, you know, commercial breaks and all the stuff like that you hear in radio. We're really just going to dig down and explain to you guys what's going on so that, so that you know, so that you know what you can do about it and so forth. So the next thing on the good, it's a short list, uh, is, um, and this wasn't actually a legislative thing. But it was something that came out of some of the bills that we were able to expose and stuff like that. And it'll tie us into the bad. But um, the head of the House and Ways Education Budget Committee or something like that, some huge word. But either way, it's the chairman of the, the education budget or the chairman of the education committee, okay. Danny Garrett from Trustful. 
Um, he returned his check, his AEA donation, back to the teachers' union, the teachers' association. Um, and that's a big deal. He he, ten thousand dollar check goes a long way in a in a it um, a state surely you know, does a state yeah. election. Uh, and he returned that money. And of course, you know when he said why he returned that money, um, he um, you know said he didn't want there to be any appearance of a conflict of interest. Um, and and th- and that's right. If you're over the education budget and you're taking money from a teachers union, that is a conflict of interest. And so. Um, good on Danny, uh, for returning that check. Um, that was really good. And that'll, that'll bring us, uh, from the good to the bad. And then we'll jump in and I think explaining this first point and the bad, uh, we'll explain, um, why him returning that check was such a good thing. And so, okay. So we are going to get into what we, what came out of exactly. So, okay. So the good, the good is that constitutional carry was signed into law, um, Definitely keep your permits uh, good until January of 2023. From what I'm reading, January of 2023 is when that actually goes into effect. So don't get caught without your permit. Um, I wonder if those they, things. I wonder if they did that just so people don't feel that recently did, you know, renewed their yeah, permit. Don't, don't feel like they wasted their, their money, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and I will say this, and this is like, I really don't think the Sheriff's Association is going to lose that much money. I think people are going to continue to get their permits so that they can cross state lines, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to have reciprocity with other states, you you know your sheriff's department can approve you and say, yeah, this person's allowed to have a firearm. Right. Boom, here's your permit, and you can you know travel to California or wherever you want. Well, I don't know California was a bad example, but I was thinking far distances, <laughs> right? Crossing many states. Right. Um, yeah. You guys do your research on what states are what, but um, so I do think people are going to continue to get permits, uh, and then I think they also had it written in the law where they can basically apply for a grant for any lost monies. Oh, right. So the sheriff's department okay. says, you know, they say, hey, we, we did 800,000 on permits last year. Um, you know, now we're down to 600,000 and they apply for a grant and then they'll, that'll get backfilled until I think the appropriations process will catch them up okay. on the things that they need. So, okay. well, that's good um, to hear. Yeah. And, and, and so really, again, that was, it was a win win all the way around. They that, didn't lose money. Yeah. Um, the people are not having their, their uh, constitutional rights uh, uh, infringed upon, as it said, they shall not be. So the good constitutional carry and then Danny Garrett returning uh, his donation from the Teachers Union, Teachers Association, uh, the Alabama Education Association. So that's good. The bad is that the school choice bill is dying. I know. I know. It, it, can we put a fork in it and call it dead at this point? Do you think it could possibly be resurrected at this point? I think there's been, and so this is, this is why it's, it's buffering near the good and it's not in the ugly because this would just be flat out ugly if there wasn't some benefits that came from it. And again, we'll insert 1819 news into the fray here. Um, so Del Marsh and Charlotte Meadows, so Del Marsh in the Senate, Charlotte Meadows in the House, introduced probably one of the uh, most incredible pieces of legislation I've seen when it comes to school choice that if passed as it was written, would have launched us into the forefront. Um, we would have actually been leading on a very important national issue. Yeah. It's a state issue, right? A state issue first, but um, it's an issue that's going around in the nation is how to improve our education system. And obviously as, as conservatives who believe in free markets, we know that competition is how you do that. Um, so right now there's kids that are basically hostages, you know, they're being held right. in, in these schools and uh, failing schools and things like that. So um, the legislation, uh, it was extremely beneficial in a number of different ways. I mean, it, 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 the, as it was initially written, included homeschoolers, it included private schools, Christian or other private schools, or even a public to public transfer to go to a different public school that they, that they, of their choice. And, um, 
what are the other um, type of schools called? Charter schools. Charter schools. Charter schools and things like that. So, yeah. And it was going to be phased in, I thought, in a very responsible way yeah. uh, so that no one could claim, oh, my goodness, we're all going to, there's going to be a flurry of activity, people moving from one school to the other all in one year. No, there was a certain set that would start the first year on to the second and the third so that it could transition over uh, in a in a very organized way. Yep. I, and that is... Um, it, the bill almost made too much sense. I know, right? right? I like, read through it. There's it's, nothing hokey or corrupt in this. There's no way this is going to pass. <laughs> I know. So, I, was, um, I was even talking to uh, the head of the uh, Christian Education Association. Yeah. And uh, he had not read the bill when I called him. And he said, I, I, I got to look for certain things to ma- ensure that Christian education is not uh, compromised in the sense that we're required, in order to partake in the program, we're required to give up standards principles, yeah. policy, and, and uh, action or whatever. Uh, the next day I called him and he found it in there. It was not that long of a bill. And uh, I even found it and it was like amazing how it allowed for just basic private and Christian education to continue doing what they did. They were in no way compromised, but yet they yeah. could be part of this. So it was a really great bill. Incredible. And so I had Charlotte Meadows and Del Marsh come on the podcast, talk to Del Marsh and, you know, essentially said, look, you know, this is an incredible piece of legislation. Thank you so much for introducing this. This is really good. Kudos to you. I said, but Del, let's be honest. Like we know in the state of Alabama, good legislation by the time it gets out of committee off the floor and onto the governor's desk, it usually gets, you know, neutered into a nothing burger. Right. Will you go on record saying that you're going to fight like heck to make sure that this bill passes? And he's like, oh, of course. Before we even published the podcast 24 hours later, the thing was already neutered into a nothing burger, right? And it started out with, well, we need to make sure that these homeschoolers have some type of a standard. I know. We'll give them the standards that the, the, the worst state in the nation in education, we'll make them use those standards. And it's like... You know, it's just, it's crazy. And so give them the standards um, that lowered us in rankings. Yes. That's great. So that's um, not a standard, is it? That's a substandard. (laughs) Yeah. And so they basically butchered it. And so what we exposed at 1819 News, Sean Patrick Taylor did a a great expose investigative piece, basically showing that, you know, the AEA, the teachers union under Paul Hubbard used to control the state and it was Democrats. Um, Bob Riley came in, um, they fixed that and they got it to where, um, you know, teachers that used to just come out of their, their paychecks, they didn't have to make a decision. It literally just came out of their paychecks. And so it turned the AA into this just, um, well-funded just machine. And so right. they, they got it fixed to where, um, the money didn't come out of their paychecks anymore. You actually had to sit down and intentionally write them a check and send it to them and took a huge hit there. Some other things happened and the AA, I mean, just about overnight, um, you know, disappeared. Uh, from being one of the most powerful organizations, uh, it, it probably the most powerful organization uh, association in the state of Alabama. And so their hope for revival, uh, apparently, um, unbeknownst to many people in Alabama, was buying off Republicans now, right? And so, um, you know, there was a lot of different things, and I've heard a lot of different stories, but essentially, you know, he, here was the story that we wrote, and it was called Strange Bedfellows. Um, you know, the, the, the Republican Party and the new AEA or something like that. And um, you know, the, the Alabama GOP, the Alabama Republican Party, in its bylaws for you to qualify uh, to be a Republican, um, you are strongly discouraged from taking money from the AEA. It, the, the bylaws actually written the NEA and any of its state level affiliates, which would be the AEA. 
um, strongly discouraged from taking funds. It will be frowned upon, right, um, for taking money. Well, that didn't stop them. Um, there's, I don't remember, it was like 68 uh, legislators that are taking money um, from the AEA. You're the one that showed and pointed out that they have 44 lobbyists. So you look at you know, groups who have major government affairs offices like Alabama Power, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, BCA, Regions, whatever, you know, they all have all less than 10, less right. than 10 lobbyists. Around five or less yes. yeah, for a lot of these big, big companies that have yeah. a lot of sway in the state. Yeah. And then here's the AEA with 44. 44 lobbyists down wow. there in the halls, walking the halls, influencing things. And so, um, you know, it's no wonder that the school choice legislation was was shot and killed, essentially, you know what I mean, was 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 uh, murdered, executed. Right. Um, because the AEA is pushing back against it with all the power it has and, and it now has power over Republicans. And so um, that's a bad deal. And um, we were able to uh, expose that and put pressure uh, um, on people saying, hey, what are you doing? It says that you're not supposed to do this and you're doing this. And, and I mean, they were getting $10,000 checks, $20,000 checks, massive amounts of money to fund their yeah. campaigns um, and then turning around and, and voting against uh, giving parents the, the right to choose their children's education. So that was really bad. Uh, we exposed that. And that's why it was such a big deal that Danny Garrett returned his AEA donation is is, is kind of the head of the education aspect of the legislature. So that was a really big deal. Yeah, I find this whole thing to be very um, disturbing in the sense that you've got the voters placing these state lawmakers into office, right? Yeah. The, the the taxpayer and the voter, they're there to represent the taxpayer. Yeah. But at the same time, the the money coming from these outside interests is holding more sway over them representing what the, the interests of the parents and the voters and the taxpayers is within their district. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't think our parents are aware of this. Yeah. They don't understand what's at play behind the scenes, and they don't have their own representative who's trying to uh, launch uh, things for them in, in their best interest, to launch uh, initiatives and programs for their concerns. Now, I think that's changing. Uh, Locals Alabama is is one in which they're getting people parents back involved and running for school board and all of that and it's it's got to happen because otherwise it's just going to continue down this track yeah where the 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 person behind this the scene behind the curtain who's holding the the invisible hand let's say that's tilting the steering wheel and and changing the course of this of the actions of the state lawmaker is is got to be exposed yeah i think um you know, and this is one of the areas where I come off a little bit stronger than most people um, sitting where I sit. And Ray and I don't necessarily disagree on this. I think we just come at it at a little bit different uh, angle. Ray Malik being our editor in chief, um, he he keeps me in check and I get him fired up. And so we have this really good complimentary relationship that um, serves 1819 well, I think. But, you know, he um, would say, well, I don't think they're they're bad people, you know, and down there in the legislature, I just think that, you know, um, they're not hearing from their people and they are hearing from the special interest groups because the special interest groups have people down there in the state halls making these persuasive arguments. And oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, I mean, I guess you have to define your terms. What is a bad people? What is a bad people? I look at people who take oaths and then uh, fall into dereliction as bad people. And so do I think they're morally bad people? Do, do, do I think they're mean? No. And that's what the way we define good now is, well, they're mean that's a bad person because they're mean. And if they're nice, they're good people. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not it. If they swore an oath to uphold the United States constitution, the state constitution and to represent their constituency. Okay. That's who they're there to represent is the people who voted for them. And so if they're not going out and holding town halls and figuring out what it is that their constituents want and figuring out 
you know, in some way, shape or form, how to get information out to the people who sent them there and making an, uh, an exerted effort to figure out what it is that their people want so that you can vote in an, you know, in a way that actually represents those people. Instead, you have these special interest groups that are, you know, lacing up your, um, you know, election account so that you can get, you know, reelected uh, with $10,000 checks here and there. Um, I mean, that that's, that's, to me, that's the, the, the epitome of, of what political corruption is, is taking money from special interests and then voting against the wishes of your people. And so what is a bad people to me? That. Right. That's what a bad people is. And I'm not saying that, like, I get how people slip and fall into it, but that would be like me as a father, right? Like I took an oath when I married my wife that I was going to, you know, provide for her, protect her, take care of her, you know, till death do you part and sickness and health and all those things. And I'm a father. And now that I have children, you know, we, we dedicate our children and that we're going to raise them a certain way. And then what if I just wasn't doing those things? And I, and it was like, well, he's a real nice guy. Yeah. Real nice, man. I don't think he's mean. I think he's a good guy. He just sucks at his dad. He, he smiles while he shanks you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I mean, just because maybe they aren't maliciously out. And now there are those who actually are malicious who are out for power and control and greed and those things and all that. I mean, that, that does exist. And I'm not saying that that's all of them. But what I am saying is that there's a bulk of the people down there who are in dereliction of their duty. They're not representing the people. They're being bought and paid for by special interests. So um, I think that's problematic. Um, and you, Brian, you say dereliction of duty. And let me just take it back uh, to the Bible, to, which is basically what you're saying. Yes. To him that knoweth to do good and does it not. Yeah. It, to him it's sin. To him it's sin. Yeah. And that's actually the way you define good people, bad people. And right. so, and again, you know, going from a purely theological standpoint, you know, we're all sinners, right, in the eyes of God. And, um, you know, there's repentance and restoration for those who are in Christ. And, and we do have a, a pretty uh, solid professing belief, right, amongst the legislature. So I, I, would, I would call on them to honor their, their oath, um, to repent, to, to turn from their dereliction, and to begin to actually um, fight back against the powers that be that are in their ear, and then they would begin to, you know, renew their representation of the people. I think that that's what they need to do. But And to um, upholding institutions, not Alabama. Yeah. Associations, yes. but institutions such yep. as the parent and the child yep. and their, their responsibility and right to determine a lot of things about yep. their child that state lawmakers don't have. That's right. And that's not even going into all the stories I hear about, you know, these senators and Congress or representatives with their Montgomery girlfriends. But, oh, yeah. wow. You brought, you yeah. went there. I did. I know I went there, but we won't go too far into that, but not today. Yeah. But good grief. Maybe when we have some names yeah. and some, <laughs> Oh, there's hotel names. Room there's numbers. all kinds of names, but, um, you know, and that, that, that's what I'm talking about. They go down there and it's all this sh getting schmoozed by lobbyists and uh, like, oh, well, we passed this ethics commission bill that made it really, really hard. And I said, well, it ain't that hard. Yeah. There's something that's keeping these people wanting to stay in office and it's not because they're doing a bang up job for their constituents. But I digress. Moving on. Bad. Grocery, grocery tax bill. And we're going to hit a break after this. So grocery tax bill is dying. Um, this will tie into us talking about the budgets, which goes under ugly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, the grocery tax bill. So here we are, we've got inflation skyrocketing, uh, gas prices out of control. You know, that inflation is causing groceries to be out of control. And so what's one thing you could do to alleviate all of this financial pressure? Cause that financial pressure is hitting every Alabamian. What is one thing that every Alabamian buys groceries? 
right? Um, necessary goods, right? Um, I heard Tim James always says, we ain't talking about Budweiser. Uh, we're talking about, you know, meat, poultry, eggs, you know what I mean? Like your, your potatoes, milk, you know, those, those types of things. Things that keep you moving through the day. Yeah. That give um, you energy. And, and taxing those things. And like, we're one of the only states left in the nation that, that is still taxing those things. And it's extremely burdensome on the poor. Yes, it is. Um, and so uh, Mike Holmes introduced a bill uh, to, to get rid of that. I mean, what a beautiful way that you could alleviate this financial pressure that every Alabamian's feeling. Our budgets, as uh, Justin Bogey is going to be joining us here in a minute to talk about that. Um, and um, but yeah, so grocery tax bill is dying. I would say that's bad. Very bad. It's it's disappointing is the mildest word I can come up with. Yeah. That that they could not see fit to give a break in this area after all the surplus that they have brought in that has been given to them through the CARES Act and, and all of that, as well as the budget surplus that they've enjoyed, they can't bother to help out the poor yeah. in this area. It is very disgusting and disappointing. Extremely. Um, well, there you go. Um, guys, we're going to be back with the ugly. So we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad, and we're going to come back and talk about the ugly. Um, and uh, we'll have uh, Justin Bogey, uh, who um, does the budget analysis he's got a fancy title good. that i don't know what it is but he is amazing um and he will break down um the the budgets and why why that lands squarely in our ugly category so uh, we're gonna hit a break stay tuned and we'll be back we're pulled in every direction every direction except deeper deeper down into our own soil we must reconnect with who we are we need new storytellers deeply connected to the truth of honest journalism, the goodness of Alabama culture, and the beauty of our potential. 1819 News is a new kind of media company. My name is Brian Dawson. I'm the founder, president, and CEO of 1819 News. We're going to be steadfast in making sure that the only thing you hear from us is the truth. So 1819 News is not a political organization. We're not Republican, we're not Democrat. We're not promoting and endorsing candidates. Uh, at the end of the day, the news is gonna be the news uh, and the values that we espouse are gonna be representative of this great state. We inherently understand stories. If you look in the Bible, Jesus told parables to help people understand things. Alabama has incredible stories and we have incredible storytellers. And so we want to provide a platform for our incredible storytellers to tell the stories of Alabama that make it such a, a true and beautiful place. I think the biggest problem we have in Alabama from a news and media perspective is the national focus. I think everyone is so focused on what's going on in Washington, D.C., and I don't think that we can have a huge influence on what's going on 800 miles away from here. But I do think we can make a difference on what's going on in Montgomery and things that are closer. We would like to pull people back into focusing on their own backyard, their cities, their counties, and their state. We'll be able to have manageable, bite-sized steps that we can take to, to make real cultural change. You know, you have other outlets that don't seem to be asking tough questions. Uh, they're not doing the investigative journalism uh, and the, the beat reporting and digging and, and looking into uh, what's going on with our administration and the legislative sessions, and the government and the schools, all of these different things. 
And so ultimately we, we're creating a media outlet and a news organization that serves the people of Alabama because we don't feel like there is one right now. We're gonna reach the average Alabamian by doing two things. We're gonna provide them truth. Everyone's starving for truth right now. It's hardworking Alabamians who get up every single day before the sun's up and they get in their truck and they drive to work and they work you know, hard and then they come home uh, and they're tired and they, they, they take care of their families. They are searching for truth. We want to create content that celebrates things, that um, focuses on the positive, um, whether that be um, people uh, that are doing good things that you didn't know about, whether that be about things that are going on in Alabama, whether it be sports, music. We really wanna focus on uh, things that make people feel good. What you're gonna get from us is honest news and the voice of Alabama values. Uh, at the end of the day, the news is gonna be the news. Uh, and the values that we espouse are going to be representative of this great state. 1819 News exists to provide the people of Alabama with the truth. We are the news storytellers, free to tell the truth, no matter the optics, no matter the consequences. We are 1819 News. We will rise to the moment, the moment of truth. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking around through the break. Uh, we wanted to bring on a special guest to talk about the budgets. Um, I think budgets is one of those things that sometimes we can, there's so many numbers and you start to look at it that it just becomes like mind numbing uh, at times. And the way that the government treats the money, it's like it's monopoly money. They just throw it around. And they've done it so much to where, you know, it's, you know, especially at the federal level where you're like talking, oh, you know, 15 trillion. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Then 20 trillion and then 30 trillion. And you're just like, I don't even know what a trillion is, you know? So it, it it's, it's, it's hard for the average uh, person, the average Alabamian to um, want to pay attention to these things, but it's imperative that we do um, because, you know, the money is what is funneling through and, and causing the things to happen. That's where the corruption happens. Um, and it's something that we have to pay attention to. And there's probably nobody in the state that pays better attention uh, to what's going on uh, than Justin Bogey. Justin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ron. What is your official title with the Alabama Policy Institute? It's the Senior Director of Fiscal Policy. See, I knew it was a fancy title. <laughs> I was going to butcher it if I tried it. Well, um, we're so glad to have him on. Um, I was on the, the radio with him. We were uh, covering Phil Williams' show yesterday in Huntsville, and, and he did a really good job. Uh, breaking this stuff down, um, so we're going through the good, the bad, and the ugly of the legislative uh, session up to this point. The good, it was slim pickings, <laughs> as usual, but we did get a constitutional carry. Um, Danny Garrett returning the AA check wasn't a legislative win, but it was something that came out of it. Um, the bad school choice bill is dying, um, and grocery pack, grocery tax bill is dying. I think that grocery tax bill ties directly into the first bullet that we have under ugly, which is the budget. So mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about um, what set up the context first so that people understand what are the budgets? There's like a general budget and an education budget. How does that work? What are the percentages? Just give us some context. Yeah, so, so Alabama is kind of a unique state uh, compared you know, to most of the rest of the country. We have two separate operating budgets. We have a budget that goes towards education um, and, and that's by far the biggest budget. It's coming in around $8.2 billion uh, this year. And then you have a general fund budget, which basically funds everything else, you know, your uh, prisons and Medicaid agency and, and things like that. It's much smaller. It's $2.7 billion. So, you know, up, up towards $11 billion uh, total 
uh, between the two budgets. Um, they Alabama is also unique in that uh, the state has what they call earmarks. So basically, almost every revenue stream that the state has in statute or through constitutional amendment is earmarked for a, a specific use. And and so in Alabama, that's over 90% of the budget. Uh, most states run around 25%. Um, so anyways, uh, getting back to, to now and, and what's going on with the legislature, um, the, the general fund's going to be on the floor uh, Tuesday. Um, so, so this may come out after it's already passed, but that's the final vote for it. It's the largest general fund budget in state history. The education budget's already passed the House and is moving towards the Senate. It's on track to be the largest education budget in state history. And a lot of legislators are running around like this is a great thing. But what it really means is that they're spending more money than ever, growing government more than ever, and they're they're using your taxpayer dollars to do that. I think it's something that I don't know how I can tee this up in uh, a way that makes sense that isn't going too far. This is what I struggle with all the time. Ryan, Ryan you went too far. Yeah, I did. Sorry about that. But um, I think it's it's this kind of, it's like a peeing contest, okay? And then this is what I mean by this. So you get guys, they're sitting around, they're drinking a beer. So here you are, you got you got Billy Joe Bob private sector, right? And Billy Joe Bob private sector just grew his company. He came on as a CEO five years ago, and in his five years, he's grown it by 20%. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging out with, you know, Billy Joe Bob legislator, you know, or Billy Joe Bob, what, government administrator, right? Like, oh, yeah, well, we grew the freaking government 20%. Yeah, I'll yeah. show you. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the same thing. That is not the same thing. Growing government, muy bad. That's that's Spanish for very bad, yes. okay? Yeah. Not good. Right. Um, and, and they do. It's they operate like we're growing government. Like, what do you want us to do? we want you to shrink it. Like that's kind of the right. goal. Right. And so there's this weird thing where, where they behave as though um, it's celebratory that we have record budgets every year. Yeah. That that's the attitude. But um, you know, I, I, there was a big shift in 2010, the legislature went from democratic control to Republican control for the first time in, you know, a hundred plus years longer than that. Um, and there was a push for more fiscal responsibility. And I think it worked for a while, but now Republicans are really spending as much money as Democrats ever did at a faster pace. Um, and, and you're exactly right. I think most Alabamians, if you went out there and asked them, would say we're for smaller government. We want less federal government in our lives. We want less state government in our lives. And, you know, the education budget has expanded by 35 percent in three years. That's not less Unreal. government. You know, it's just and, and education is really troubling because we haven't seen better results. We're doing as bad or worse than we were 10 or 12 years ago and, and testing. Um, so what are Alabamians really getting for that money? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. And then I don't know if this is necessarily your specialty, but I'll talk a little bit about it from, from the, the little bit of, uh, research I've done, which makes me an expert because <laughs> I did a little research. Sure. All right. But how it's basically set up. So <clears throat> I hope I do this justice I'm talking with my hands. Um, bureaucratic redundancy okay so here you have all these these administrators and superintendents and all these people okay then you have these teachers down here that probably don't get paid enough or whatever right and they and and and, you know most of them are republicans actually the the public school teachers and stuff in alabama and they complain hey i can't buy pencils for my class right we i can't buy markers for my class i don't get paid enough they're like okay and they complain to the aa and the aa goes and pushes and then they dump just unbelievable amounts of money and this is what happens the bureaucratic redundancy does this, right? They still can't buy pencils, and they still don't get paid enough, right? Yeah. And then it's this cycle, and the bureaucratic redundancy <laughs> keeps growing, and these people are probably buying yachts at this point, 
you know, and, and, and then the teachers get nothing. The teachers complain to their association. The association goes and gets more money. They high five each other, you know, put out press releases and do chest bumps. We got you more money. And then that money just gets gobbled up by the bureaucratic redundancy and on and on it goes. And so we know that that that's not helping. And then, you know, we, we, we just talked at length about uh, obviously the school choice bill and introducing competition and, you know, being able to spread some of that record budget out and maybe giving parents the option to, to really uh, take control of when, how, where uh, their children are educated. And we think that's good. So what, um, what else could we have done? I know um, before we go into that, explain the supplemental budget process. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, so, so this year for, for 2022, um, the legislature is in the process of passing a supplemental appropriation to the education budget. Um, basically, there was a large revenue surplus going into the year, which, which again means that uh, government taxed more from, from us than they should have. They, they had more money than they uh, had expenses. How much um, was it? It was about $1.3 billion in the education trust fund and, and another couple hundred million in the general fund. And um, you know, normally you would think if you overpay the government, you'll, you'll get a tax refund or you'll get some of that money back. Um, but that's not mm -hmm. what's going on. All of this money is going back into, uh, 2022 spending. And then they're bumping the budgets up again for 2023. I, I think my guess is that they're anticipating having another revenue surplus next year. And so they're already thinking about, you know, that's what's going towards these bigger budgets that they're debating right now. Um, which, you know, again, to us is really the wrong approach. If you take too much money, um, then you should be looking for ways to, in the future, take less from us, to use that surplus to take less from, from Alabamians. And grocery tax is a great example. Um, gas tax, with, with the way gas prices are right now, that's another area where um, they could make that work and, and try to give people some relief, I think. But we're just we're not seeing much beyond these targeted tax relief attempts. Talk to me about the, the grocery tax. How, so how, how could these surpluses uh, affect the grocery tax? How much would the grocery tax cost? How yeah. could we cover it? Well, um, the, the last estimate I saw, it, it's, it's over half a billion dollars is, is what it would you know, cost or what the revenue loss to the state would be if they repealed the grocery tax. And this is just the um, state portion of, of the sales tax on food items. So it's the 4% state share. It wouldn't affect local shares of, of sales tax. Um, but again, you have a $1.3 billion surplus. So there's enough there if you wanted to, to at least get rid of it for a couple of years. Um, but again, this, this is something that would really help everyone in Alabama immediately. Everybody buys food, everyone seen, you know, every time I go into the store, I have, I have sticker shock. And I think a lot of people are, are the same way. So, um, to, to us, it's a no brainer and, and this is a bipartisan issue, but it just really can't. It can't even get on a committee agenda in the legislature, and it's it's mind boggling. But there's plenty of money there. There's the revenue projections are good enough to to go ahead and get rid of it forever and really help people. So, uh, as a libertarian would say, the government stole too much money from us this year. Um, another way of saying it is, you know, they they took in more money than they needed from the people. Um, what what did they do with that money? What did that one point five trillion dollars surplus go to, or one point five trillion? See, see how I did it? Yeah, trillion, billion, yeah, billion, it, gets, it gets confusing. Um, one point five billion surplus. Well, the short answer is on the education side, about almost seven hundred million of it is going towards um, uh, capital and improvement projects, technology projects. Um, really, they're supposed to be one time money, so they're not counting on them as a recurring expense, but. 
the kind of the, the rub there is that we've already gotten four and a half billion dollars for education through federal stimulus funding bills. And, uh, and a lot of these projects, it seems, would be eligible under under that under those dollars. So, you know, why are we taking this the surplus that's really state taxpayer money? And, you know, why, why aren't we using the federal money instead? So a lot of it went towards that. Um, some of the money in education, I think it was a couple hundred million went towards retiring the debt of the PACT fund, you know, the, the old college tuition plan that, you know, I think one. it's been defunct for, four, you know, they've stopped new enrollment for 14 or 15 years and we're still paying off debt for that. You know, paying off debt's probably not the worst use of money, but, but that's, uh, it's amazing. We're still, we're still paying for the PACT program 14 years mm. after it ended. Let me uh, give our listeners, what is the PACT? So let me, let me, let me, and if I butcher it, you can come in and tell okay. me I'm wrong. Okay. So the PACT program was basically like a prepaid education for state universities. And so, you know, I'm, you know, I keep using Billy Joe Bob. I'm going to be someone different. I'm going to be uh, Tim. Billy Ray. Billy Ray. I got to come up with something that sounds good. Now, either way. So I'm, I'm a grandparent and uh, I just have a grandson uh, he's born and I say, I'm going to go to the state and I'm going to give them $50,000 and you give them $50,000. And what that means is when your grandson or your granddaughter is 18 and they enroll in college at university of Alabama, Auburn university, university of South, whatever the, the state colleges are, you would be, your tuition would be paid for. Right. And so, you know, I think tuition could be like $200,000 or something now, but if you paid the 50, right, you're good for 50. And so it seemed like a wise investment for people who had that kind of capital sitting around to, to pay for their education of their progeny. And, and they did that. Well, the, the money was so mismanaged and it was, you know, in their defense uh, during the 2008 financial collapse. And so, but it was so brutally mismanaged that they essentially lost all the money. Um, and, but here's what no one ever says. Who was the treasurer when that happened? I believe it was Kay Ivey. It was Kay Ivey. Kay Ivey. No <laughs> kidding. And so I heard the story, and again, this is this is you know this is not me you know coming in saying that this is hard and fast truth. This is what I have heard is that she did such a terrible job as the treasurer, you know, but she'd been in government so long. They're like, where can we put her so that it won't just screw everything up? And they're like, well, let's see if we can get her in as lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. They did that, and then you know Robert Bentley fondles his assistant, and boom, now that's our governor, right? So the lady that they were trying to find a spot for because she was screwing things up. And but had kind of had tenure right among state, you know, um, so they put her in lieutenant governor, um, moral failing by the governor. And boom, now we have uh, Kay Ivey as our governor, who's like, uh, you know, our uh, invincible incumbent. Right. And it's just like, right. dude. So anyway, again, that story could be complete conjecture and, and false. But that's, uh, you know, it was an interesting. And well, nevertheless, story. the fact is she was the state treasurer. She at was this time. absolutely right. Yeah. And, you know, the buck stops, right? Yeah, it no. should. And anytime you report on that, they're like, OK, if John Merrill did something, you'd be like, well, under John Merrill, blah, 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 happened. Right. Or right. under Bob Riley, blah, 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 happened. Under, you know, Governor Bentley, blah, 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 happened. Right. And and when anytime you hear about that, it's like the pact. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, what is it? So under under Kay Ivey, the pact happened. Right. And like there's all this money. And, and so. They lost all the money, and essentially, I think what happened was the the parents were like, "Hey, you know what happened?" And then the colleges were like, "Well, we didn't get that money, so mm-hmm. your kids can't go to school." So then the parents sued the government and got like hundreds of millions of dollars in, and you know, yeah, I guess the state had to take out bonds to, to yeah. cover their losses, basically. Yeah. and yeah. so we just now paid that mistake off with our surplus. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. then, uh, you know, I think a little bit of the money's going towards the the prison construction projects that that passed in the special session last year, um, which again, you know, probably not the absolute worst use for it, but um, we still took out 
seven eight hundred million million dollars in bonds for the prison construction project, uh, the surplus could have been put towards that, and we wouldn't have had to borrow any money, taking on new debt for the state. So, um, yeah, lot lots going on there. Crazy. So how much of our so you said eight point two billion was education, mm-hmm. and then what was the general? Uh, I believe it's about two point seven is what they're okay arguing over. So how much of that was federal CARES Act, and how much of it was money they stole from us? I mean uh, taxed us. <laughs> all of that is tax money. That doesn't all include that, any yeah. of the the federal aid. The state uh, got about four billion dollars or so directly. Uh, local uh, county local governments got another two billion. Uh, education got four and a half billion from the feds. None of that's going into to what they're the talking about budget. right now. Yeah. Um, and then of course, businesses got loans from the federal government that never had to be paid back. Individuals got uh, stimulus payments. So the federal money's just, just been flowing, um, which is, you know, sort of helped prop up revenues, which is, which is part of this uh, surplus. Um, but you know, the, they, they keep claiming that this cliff is coming and that these revenues are going to drop off. Well, if that's the case, why are we spending all of that surplus now? Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Wow. It's, it seems to me that at, at a fundamental level, everybody within state government and beyond has just completely lost track or refused to acknowledge where this money comes from. Yeah. The state tax comes from the people that are paying it. And even the federal money is ultimately rerouted. It's a circuitous way, but it is ultimately coming from the sure. taxpayer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's taxpayer it's money. money. It's borrowing against future taxes. And, right. Um, you know, federal government passed a huge spending package last week that, you know, in, in our mind could help fuel some of the problems we're seeing with inflation right now because they're pumping another trillion and a half dollars into, right. uh, you know, into the economy, which, uh, you know, could have negative effects here in Alabama, whether you, you know, again, trillions of dollars, that those are big numbers. A lot of us, you know, don't think about it, may not care about it, but it, it absolutely does affect people here. Yeah. Um, how do you think that'll, in, in, uh, in words, 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 uh, how will that affect or what will the effect always struggle with that too. be on um, inflation here in Alabama from the federal money. Yeah. Well, we're already seeing what seven and a half percent inflation, almost um, the federal reserve interest rates are, are at an all time low. They're talking about raising them, but um, you know, small raise in interest rates, isn't really going to help us combat that. So um, I think in the short term, we'll see prices probably continue to rise and, you know, combined with, with the gas situation, it's, it's going to hurt people. Man. Oh, I have so many more questions I want to ask, but we only have so little time. Um, well, thank you for that update. And you can stick around with us to talk about the, the other ugly. And you may have some insight. You may not. Who knows? Okay. Um, but um, the budgets are ugly. Yeah. And so it, we've got good. We've got ugly. bad. We've got ugly. And mm-hmm. so budgets are definitely ugly. Uh, gambling is also uh, made it squarely in the ugly column on our legislative update and the ugly. And so I'll do... Um, uh, you know, we talked about this last week, but I, I don't think we can talk about it enough. I think the biggest challenge last year, no one knew about it. No one knew, right? It was this just absolute atrocity. I'm going to pull out my phone here and I'll read this tweet from Donald Trump Jr. last year. Um, that's not it. That's not it. Anyway, terrible podcast etiquette looking at my phone. But I'll, um, I'll go over the, the, the history of it. And it's um, so last year there was a, a bill that was introduced that essentially um, 
to give context to it, there's there's four entities that are basically operating for families for whatever illegally in the state. Then you have the Indians. Scott Beeson likes to uh, break it down into cowboys and Indians, <laughs> which is hilarious. He's politically incorrect yes, that way. He is. Yeah, yes, he likes we, to that's do why that. we like Scott. Yeah. Um, so you have the Milton McGregors, the Green Tracks, the you know the, these people who are who are running uh, gambling establishments illegally in the state as we speak. <clears throat> and then you have the Indians, and so. The, the bill last year essentially sought to um, bring in full-blown gambling casinos. And there was basically going to be five licenses that were issued with the Indians getting one and the Cowboys getting the other four. Um, and those licenses were, were essentially being handpicked. Hey, you get this license, you get this license, you get this license. And so anybody who understands conservative uh, politics understands that handpicking people that get licenses, right? It's like a no bid contract is essentially mm. what's happening. Mm. And so there's no competition. They're not opening it up um, to be bid on. And then if they do open it up to be bid on, they give those five entities the final bid, <clears throat> right? Well, they had to be at those locations. So yeah. it was heavily slanted towards the existing Absolutely. operators, you know, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. And they're the ones that are pumping all the, the, the lobbying money into the commercials and the special interest lobbying that goes on down at the state house and pushing all this stuff. So, you know, they'd be darned if, uh, if they were going to let, you know, Steve Wynn or Donald Trump come in here and bid on a casino after they've been pumping out all this money, uh, on ads and everything else. And so I think the other, you know, really egregious part of that bill is not only are we going to be rewarding a bunch of entities who've been thumbing their nose at the law for the last 20 or 30 years, basically spitting in the face of the law, um, defying the law, running gambling establishments in the state, we're going to reward them by giving them licenses and not only giving them licenses, but writing their name into the Alabama state constitution so that they have exclusive rights to run these establishments in perpetuity. <sighs> right. It's a lot. Um, but, it, but they're marrying it to the lottery bill. And so it's just like everything else. Like if there's a way that cronies can get rich, they, what they do is again, this is what it, it, they appear to do uh, from, from my perspective, they find something that's got a little bit of momentum that's polling. Mm -hmm. Like, look, I think people are ready for weed. How can we get rich on it? I know. Let, let's figure out how we can get rich on it, and then we'll bring the weed through, right? And they don't care about weed. They don't care about kids having seizures. They don't care about any of that stuff. They want to figure out how they can get rich off of something that's polling well, mm -hmm. right? And so they find that. And then and then lottery right now, um, I, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a whole bunch of people that are just diametrically opposed to scratch tickets. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that is tolerable. It's acceptable. And so what they do is they marry um, mm -hmm. scratch tickets to full-blown gambling casinos. And so it's that whole um, camel with its nose in the tent situation, right. right? The nose is the lottery, and then all of a sudden you get the whole camel. Um, and and so, you know, the, the commercials that are going out talk about how good scratch tickets are for education. <laughs> right? It's just boom, 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 hundreds of millions of dollars dumped into the these ads talking about, you know, look at little Becky here. She graduated from college in Tennessee because she got the, you know, the scholarship from the lottery, you know, whatever. And they just hit you and they hit you and they hit you. And you're like, well, my God, how stupid are we that we don't have scratch tickets? And so when the, when the, when it comes up on the ballot, the little three lines that it's going to say describing the constitutional amendment, because that's what we're going to have to do because in the constitution, it says that we can't have games of chance. So you're going to have to amend the constitution. If you're going to amend the constitution, it's got to go to a vote. It's got to go to a ballot. And there it's going to have three lines and it's not going to say full blown, you know, uh, gambling casinos that are probably going to have sex trafficking in them, right? That's not what it's going to say on it. It's going to say scratch tickets. It's going, <laughs> it's going to, to be say lottery. cleverly education and vaguely. Yeah, yeah, education lottery. That's right. Right, right. Um, and so, and, and you look at if it was anything else, you know, one of the things they say is they want to, um, uh, how did Ray, uh, the, the, the Indians argument is, hey, 
we can't just legalize gambling in casinos in Alabama. Then you'll have any Tom, Dick, and Harry just throwing up a casino. You got to let us professionals do it, <laughs> yeah. right? You're like, think about that anywhere else. It's like, you know what? We did that with the marijuana one. We're like, hey, government's not really good at selling drugs. Maybe we could bust some of those guys out of the joint, and they could they could run some of these yeah. drug dealing things for us because we need professionals. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, what in the world? Well, how is this the standard that we're using? And if it's you're going to break the law, yeah. break it right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Please teach us how to do this illegally, but legally. So um, it's just it's, it's craziness all the way across the board. And again, they always marry it to something that sounds good, like education, which I think the name of the bill, like it doesn't say anything about gambling or anything. It's like pure just you know education goodness or something like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But, um, but interestingly, they won't untie the two issues from yes. each other. I mean, if if, if this education lottery was so is, is great and people, you know, why are, uh, if gambling was so great, I should say, you know, why are they having to marry it to an issue that they know is more popular? Exactly. Having a chance of passing it. That's the ticket. And that's what I'm trying to stress to people. Cause they're like, let the people vote. And it's like, man, I'm conservative. Let the people vote. I'm all about people doing some voting, right? Love it. Problem is the people have been inundated with commercials for the last, I don't know, 10 years, browbeating them over the head with how great the lottery is. And they don't know that the lottery is connected to the full-blown gambling casinos that are being handed to criminal entities that have been, you see what I'm saying? And it's like, so it's this whole thing that's tied to this one thing that's popular. Um, and so, yeah, if the people voted, the people wouldn't know about the whole kit and caboodle that comes with it and everything in the kitchen sink and all that. That's right. It's, it, it reminds me of the whole conflict in Congress with the line item veto, where they're trying to not have all this pork thrown in, you know, can we vote on this, but not on that. Yeah. And, uh, Congress can't even do that. And now the Alabamians are not being allowed to do that as well. Yeah. So I'll read this. Um, this was Donald Trump Jr. Um, what he uh, tweeted out last year. And this actually played a big part in stopping the bill last year because there was there was no right side radio. There was no 1819 news. There was no, um, you know, local Alabama. You know, Eagle Forum was there. But um, I think, you know, through all this other stuff that's going on, they have even have more of a reach this year than they did last year. Uh, no Thatcher coalition last year. There, there wasn't um, the people's voices wasn't being heard at the level that it is now. And the people didn't have the information that they do now. Right. Um, and so um, no one knew. And that was the biggest thing. When, when you begin to talk about this, this gambling legislation to people, their jaw just hits the ground and like, this is happening in Alabama. And it's like, yes, it's happening in Alabama. And they had no idea. So this is what Donald Trump Jr. Said about the bet, the bill last year. He says, bad bill. If you're going to legalize gambling, actually legalize it. But giving a monopoly to a small group of casino bosses is just a special interest giveaway. This bill would stop the world's best gaming operators from opening world-class resorts and casinos in Alabama. And so there's the argument. It's not a moral argument for or against gambling, though you can have those arguments. I think those arguments matter, and we should always have moral arguments because morals matter. But you don't have to have the moral argument to kill this bill, right? The, the, the killing of this bill is free market. It's you know, if you're going to open it up, if we want to have casinos and we want to flourish and, and it talks about like the aesthetics and stuff like that, when it gets into the bill, you want to talk about aesthetics, bring Steve Wynn in here to build a casino, have Donald Trump come in here and build a casino, whatever. Those people really know how to do it, right? You want to talk about having professionals, right? They're very professional and you could have world-class resorts and all kinds of things like that. I personally don't want that, but if we're going to do it, that's how you do it. You don't, you don't reward, um, you know, the, the, the gambling bosses is that have Jr. already been operating under uh, <clears throat> under the law, you know, in spite of the law. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, we'll wrap it up. Uh, that kind of takes us to the end of our uh, legislative update, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you guys have anything else? 
I don't think so. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, before we uh, jump off, remember um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube is where you can find us. Go there. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, give us a five-star review, leave us a review. I don't know how all that works, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Go on there, tell everybody how awesome we are. Tell all your friends about us. Go there, uh, like, subscribe, follow, all of those things on social media. And the and the biggest one is 1819news.com. Subscribe for the newsletter so that we can do the end around on old Zuckerberg and make sure that we're getting you guys, even though they don't want us to. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my new slug line that I end with. Are you guys ready? Get the zuck out. Well, get the, <laughs> get the zuck out. That would be good. Um, see, that's Andrea. She's always right there on the edge. And try. She says she's not a scrapper. I don't believe her. Um, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Until next time. <laughs>